You're listening to The Community Pulse, a podcast about developer relations, community management, and all things tech advocacy. Let's see what our hosts are chatting about this episode. Welcome to another episode of Community Pulse. I'm your host, Wesley Faulkner, and I'm joined today by my co-hosts, PJ Haggerty and Mary Thingval. Over the last year, we've talked uh, uh, talked about virtual events quite a bit, from how to get started to bringing things together in a short period of time. That said, being a sponsor at these virtual events has been somewhat of a challenge with no real booths or physical locations for interactions. Where can value be found in these events and how do we show the benefits of our sponsoring uh, organization to our sponsoring organizations? To discuss this, we brought together a few folks who have experience with virtual events from different points of view. I'm going to hand over to them right now to introduce themselves. Maddie and Ben Lloyd. Matt, you, Maddie, you're first. Great. Uh, thanks, Wesley. Yeah, my name is Maddie Stratton. Um, I am a Chicago-based uh, bond vivant, and as uh, at least that's what PJ calls me. But in my day job, I'm a staff developer advocate over at Pulumi, and I've been involved with a bunch of virtual events. I run DevOps Days Chicago, and I'm the global chair uh, for DevOps Days around the world. Yeah, I'm Ben Lloyd Pearson. I am the developer. I run developer marketing for Mattermost. Um, it, it's interesting you say experience with virtual events because probably part of the the knowledge that I hope to bring here is lack of experience with virtual events and then suddenly getting thrust into them here at, like in the last few months of the, the pandemic. Um, so, you know, I'm your very stereotypical person that comes from um, a weird background and ended up doing developer oriented stuff so <laughs> awesome uh maddie ben great to have you um uh, mary and wesley always happy to be with you uh let's get started with our questions right away um it seems like the, there's a lot of strategies that go into sponsorship and, and different companies different organizations have different takes but um you know maddie from the organizer's perspective and ben kind of from the developer marketing perspective how is how has covid changed the strategy that you had for events I think overall there's been um, a need for intentionality uh, in, in physical events. There is definitely uh, an approach from a sponsorship perspective where um, if you build it, they will come, right? Like I can show up people and, and as an organizer, we do, you know, you do things to help funnel traffic through the area. You know, you put the ice cream and the treats in the sponsor expo area and all that. And, and people, uh, you don't have to be super intentional to get people to come and talk to you. Like you can, and people take it to levels, but also you throw a booth up at a conference. Someone's going to walk by because you're in their uh, peripheral vision, if nothing else. And what what's happened is, first of all, that just doesn't work in virtual. And I think uh, fortunately we... One of the bigger problems, I don't want to go into this too much. One of the biggest problems we found with virtual events is just how do we take a physical event and just throw it on the internet, right? And this is what gets us nonsense like virtual expo halls of second life walk through and do whatever. And it's like, no, what you can't do 
is take what we used to do and just throw it on the internet because everything has changed. Um, so that's that's my 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 thought to that. Like Ben, I don't know what he like. I don't want to talk the whole time. Yeah, I mean so, I do, but you don't want me to. <laughs> so so like I said, I've 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 seen two completely different opposite sides of the virtual event space. So when the pandemic started, I was working for a uh, a company that built B two B developer APIs in like a fairly niche space, and selling to that audience or just attracting that audience in general. There's there's such a technical barrier um, to joining like our community of developers that the only way for us to do it effectively is to have like really deep meaning with them, whether that's like a, a really deep blog article or something that was working very well for us before the pandemic was going to these in-personal events and having one-on-one conversations with as many developers as we could. Um, because for us, it was very hard to, there isn't, there wasn't really a, a one-liner that we could give a developer that would just draw them into our community. Um, when the pandemic hit and stuff started canceling, we we had to transition from a strategy that was centered 100%, or, uh, sorry, not 100%, about 70% of our budget and effort was going to go into conferences last year. And we just eliminated that. We just cut it all out. Um, because we we recognized that with, with our niche focus, this this like without it without having that deep one-on-one engagement there just wasn't a real value for us to show up to events like this then i switched jobs halfway through this pandemic and have joined mattermost and it's almost the exact opposite of that um, our product has a broad enough appeal um, and is highly digital um, it's very tangible for someone who who is just spending a little bit of time with us um, in this situation, virtual events actually do kind of make some sense for us uh, because we don't need to rely on that, like the expo hall person just passing by and decides to have a conversation with us for a few minutes. So it's been it's been strange because I, you know, I didn't get to see a lot of the first like waves of virtual events. I'm seeing them now that they're on like I, I imagine is probably like iteration two or three for a lot of these events organizers. I think you bring up a really good point about there's a huge difference between virtual events and in-person events, depending on what your product is and how well known your product is and how broad of a base you have. Cause that's one of the things we've been dealing with at Kamunda as well, where I'm at that like virtual events and virtual booths generally haven't worked for us well, but I've heard from friends at other places who were like, no, virtual events have been fantastic and we get people by the booth all the time and it works really well. And I'm like, well, what are you doing? And they're like, well, you know, we have interesting uh, links that people can click through on and we have a chat going at all times. I'm like, you're doing the same things we are, (laughs) but their brand is better known or it's not as niche of an audience or it's a different time and place, right? Where we have great people walking by at conferences who might stop to see because our logo looks interesting or process models look interesting and they're interested to find out more about it. And then it turns into great conversations, but they're not necessarily just gonna show up because they know the name Kamunda magically at a virtual event, right? I One thing I thought was really interesting is after we did the first virtual DevOps Day Chicago, 
um, <clears throat> last year, one of the things we said was like, oh, we didn't really like do a lot of sponsor enablement on like how to be a great sponsor. And I started thinking about, well, I should write that up because that's helpful. And what I thought was interesting is as I started to put together what my tips were going to be on how to be a great sponsor at a DevOps stage that was virtual, I discovered they were the exact same tips that I've been giving to sponsors for in-person DevOps days for the last eight or nine years. And it's because at a smaller community event, and even smaller can be at the scale of a DevOps days Minneapolis, it's almost a thousand people. Um, it's not the same as a reInvent or a lot, you know, where you've got thousands and thousands of people and you can just throw up your expo hall. And because people do that at like a community event and they're like, well, we did our thing and it didn't work. Well, like what you need to do is you need to actually be part of the event. Right. And I think back to like what Jason Hand did, like in 2014, I remember Jason went to every DevOps days in North America that year. Granted, that was a possible thing to do, <laughs> you know, but even then he would tell you, don't do that as an individual. But so one of the things to think about is that, yeah, you can't just sort of sit there and wait. You actually have to go be part of the event. And that doesn't mean go into all the chats and like have your macro that, that does your pitch thing that flies it out there. It means like, Go into the conversations, and if you organically see there's a conversation happening that's related to your thing, and you could say, hey, you know what? We're going to do like an office hours thing about this a little bit more. That's kind of cool. People actually are fine with that. They want to talk to sponsors if they feel like the sponsor conversation will help them. And to Mary's point, you won't necessarily know that just because of the name of the sponsor. So. Right. And I, I'd like to add, I think it's interesting because a lot of times when we talk about DevRel in general, like that's the, that's the idea. If you want to be a member of a community, you have to be a participating member of a community. You can't just show up, drop in, speak, drop a blog post and call it a day. You have to, it's a, it's, it's a form of communication. It's a one to many communication, but it has to be two way. It has to be a two way street. So what you're saying, Maz, I think sponsors, if they really want to get something out of a virtual event, need to do the same thing. Go participate. Yeah, and I think, go ahead, Matt. Oh, I was just going to say, now it's harder to do that from a yeah. staffing perspective because Absolutely. the number of people in your organization that can sit in a booth and hand out socks and scan badges is a much larger because that's an easier uh, skill to acquire. Anybody can learn to work a booth. Not not saying working a booth is not hard, but the, the amount of doing that, you're like, okay, cool. Somebody wants to go to the event. They can do a couple hours of booth duty. I can train you up in a couple hours and tell you how to do our pitch and how to scan okay, now I want you to go and be involved and go to the talks and be in the chat and everything. Like that's a bigger thing. So your your scope of who can do it in your org is smaller or who's able to take the effort to do it. Um, on the other side, it's easier to go work a virtual event for just a couple hours because you don't, you're not getting on a plane to do two hours worth of work and do some other stuff. So yeah, and I'll, I'll jump in there too because... I think the the level of effort is different and also the level of what you're getting from the conferences can be different. Um, we had a fascinating conversation and I won't mention the conference name because there's no need to, but a great conversation with a sponsorship salesperson at a conference that it gave us access to, you know, what they were pitching as this great virtual booth and a great place for us to hang out and for people to come see us. And they would be pushing people to go see the sponsors and everything else. And I said, great. And, you know, we'll be able to attend the talks and participate in the conference as well. Right. And they were like, oh, yeah, we'll have, you know, in addition to the booth staff, you have two passes to the conference. And I was like, well, OK, but 
normally like the booth staff can then also attend and see the talks and talk to other people in the other booths and talk to the other attendees and everything else. Well, right. But we're not really giving, giving you act like we'll push people to you. I went, okay, well, your website says you have a Slack for all of the attendees. I'm assuming full conference passes means that at least the two people who have full conference passes get access to the Slack. Oh, well, no. Well, you know what's crazy about that? Wait, It's a virtual event. It doesn't even cost more to give the people the pass. You're not feeding them. (laughs) And I think the the biggest concern from their side, and I, I get it to a certain extent, but their their reasoning and they held this line even though we we said look we aren't sponsoring without this access was well but you know the sponsors could go into the slack and and spam all of the attendees and it was just there was such a disconnect between like you don't understand the value that we actually get out of being at a conference do you because the value of being an in-person conference sure you can have people stop by the booth but you better believe my team is attending talks and listening to conversations mm-hmm. and observing what's going on around them. Especially like, when you're asking me for 15 to 20 grand. Yes. For something yes. That, 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 as Matt points out, did not cost you any more money. Right. I want to pick up when you said the reason, because this came up uh, a while ago, I was talking about like all these different ways as an organizer, you could like make it better for the sponsors and do all this. And it had to do with stuff like, you know, be a part. And when I brought this up, other conference organizers got really allergic and were like, oh, oh, but they'll spam and they'll be jerks and they'll do whatever. And I'm like, so kick them out. Right. It's not like, again, I, I hate to say it, but like a code of conduct violation in a virtual conference is so much easier to deal with in, in that case. than in a, if someone's being like following, following the rules in your physical one, you have to like go get them and do whatever. This is fine. It's like, all right. So Mary, you went in. Okay. What's the harm? You spammed a couple times. I deleted the messages. I booted you out. But you're yeah. going to completely – it's its all about the wrong kind of defense. And, yeah. And it, and it seems like the, the result of this is that the approach that, that I've really struggled with with some uh, event organizers is, is when they silo these interactions into, like, our own dedicated Slack channel or our own PDF that we uploaded to the website when, in reality, we're trying to get, like, this cross-pollination of – of like interaction with the whole community and you can't get that if if it's just people stopping by to your your designated slack channel and just typing a couple of words and then disappearing well and it's hard because you can you can make that work if you are providing content but then the organizers also get defensive because then they're because again and this goes back to forgetting that in a virtual conference the physics are different right so like the reason that i would get mad if you decided to have like you know, some big name person like PJ Haggerty speak at your booth during our keynote and people would come watch it instead is a little different than to say like, okay, in the afternoon when we've got other stuff going on. Sure. Cause you know what? People can move because they aren't physically moving from room to room. So it's okay. And, and you, but, but when you create those silos, like Ben said, all that's happening is people are just having a bad day and it's actually not even helpful. To, nobody's getting anything good out of it. The attendee, your participants are not getting any value out of the sponsors if they want to. And if they try to, because you're not staffing it well, because it's a waste of your time, people will be like, well, I want in the chat, but like, what was I like? What you're doing in that case is you're like, what do you say? You say, come ask us if you have any questions. I don't even know if I have a question. 
Same thing I would tell you in person. When you have your sponsor pitch, don't get up on stage and just rattle your pitch and say, come to our booth if you have questions. I say, come to the booth and tell me your like craziest incident story. Or tell me about like, like come tell me a story. That's always my call to action for a booth. If you do that, that works in virtual too, by the way. You say, come in and I'm giving you a reason, a prompt, other than let me know if you have any questions. Yeah, tell me how well that works, salespeople, by the way. And you never reach out to people that way. So I'm also imagining a world now where, you know, you imagine how many times you say your elevator speech at an in-person conference. And if that was what we did in our, our designated Slack channel every time someone showed up, you know, like, like that would kind of paint the ridiculousness of like, you know, trying to structure this thing in the same way that it has been done in the past. And, and really, you'd wear your fingers out with just the copy and pasting. It's true. Well, that's why you have a stream deck. You have a stream deck to push the button. Well, everyone also <laughs> sees that conversation too. We just create, we would just, I mean, in Mattermost, we just create a bot. There you go. So that, that does bring up an interesting question though. As we're thinking about sponsoring events, does the virtual side of things make you more selective? And if it does, what attracts you to certain events over others? And I'm, I'm guessing part of it based on this conversation is that things aren't siloed, right? You have the ability to actually connect with community members and attendees in a way outside of the, the quote unquote virtual booth that you're allocated. Just on the surface, I, I think that smaller, more focused events have made more sense in this. Um, I, I think when you, when you size things down, um, it brings in a, a more selective group of people who are more engaged with the topic and you can have like a singular track of content that everyone shares. Um, so it, it's almost like treating, treating an event as like, just like a live stream, like we're watching TV together and then we maybe do some activities in between, or there's some ways that we can engage with sponsors and, and whoever else. Um, because just from what I've seen with bigger events is that there's just so much going on that it's even as somebody who has helped build some of these booths, it's like I get lost myself and I can only imagine like attendees who, who maybe only attended one or two conferences during the pandemic, you know, that they must like, it just must feel, feel so much more overwhelming. But beyond that, I, I think like experiential opportunities are, are the name of the game in, in the online space you know, having workshops or like sponsored tutorials or, or some sort of thing where you're, you, if it is a bigger event, you're actually trying to do that, like a little bit of a self-selectiveness to get people who are going to engage with you more rather than just getting like all these people who are going to stop by and like fill out a form for like free stickers. It's funny because I, my initial reaction is the same as Mary's, which is yes, if they have all that, whatever, you know what? You don't know that half the time because they don't know. Right. Or the person, again, depending on because you're going to have one of two things, either it's going to be a smaller community event where they probably haven't figured it out yet because maybe it's the first time they're doing it. Or it's a big enough event where actually the person selling you the sponsorship has no freaking idea how the platform actually works necessarily because it's a team of thousands running this. I don't think a team of thousands is running any event, even reInvent, but whatever. And so it's you kind of have this like. I think what we all did after the first year of this is we all know what's bad. So, so what you do is we don't know how to ask the positive question, but we know how to ask the question that are you using this? If not, no, you know, like, so it's a little more playing defense. 
than knowing what you want, but we know what we don't want. And yeah, it's it's a, a pulse or not a pulse. It's a tension. Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that, Matt, because one of the things that I, I, I we were thinking about when we first started discussing this episode was, boy, we just don't want this to be a huge pylon of negativity. Um, but at the same time, like in the beginning, it was kind of like, okay, well, we're going to try to have conferences and it's exciting because we don't know what we're going to do. Then it's like, okay, so obviously we know the tools that don't work. Um, and uh, oddly, like the negative side of it has informed, you know, better decisions on some of the more positive outcomes. Um, like, I think that a lot of people's initial interactions with, uh, with some of the platforms made those platforms stretch and become better. Um, some of the, the things that, you know, that we didn't care for, like the siloing have gotten a little better. Um, the, the second life walkthroughs have not gotten better, but you know, but we know that's something we don't want. And I think it's also easier as a sponsor to communicate those things and say like, listen, if you're going to do this, I don't, I don't feel the need to be there. I know that I'm not going to get any value out of it. And, and I think it's, I think you're right. I think it's important to say why, because then people know, but I, I, I want to just touch on one thing that I, like, I, I feel like I always want to say every time we talk about virtual events and PJ nailed it or made me think about this. I am tired of, every, I know you hate virtual events done. Move on with your life. Okay. Because there's also number one, it's happening. There's some really great things that happen because of virtual events about inclusivity and who can join them. And also, it doesn't help to, to complain about it, so move on. But also, instead of what do we lose with virtual, and I think this is what PJ is getting to a little bit, and Mary is, what do you gain? Because there's some stuff we can do with virtual because we don't have the laws of physics. Because like, there's so much that we do in conferences because of meet space that we can do cool. Like One, one quick example, because I think it resonates. What's one of the worst things to happen in QA? You know, somebody says something that's a, not a question, but it's this is more of a comment than a question. You know when that's absolutely okay? In the chat, during the talk with the speaker, it's actually awesome because you're not taking up oxygen. So it's actually okay. Um, so you got to rethink. It's also a lot easier for the speaker to just say, and I'm going to ignore that right Right, there. right. <laughs> and, but it's, it's actually even can be good. Like, like I'm saying, like I could say, hey, PJ, you know what we did at my company, you did whatever. If I'm doing that when I'm holding the mic, it's obnoxious. If I do it in the chat, you and I and everybody around can have an awesome conversation. It can be yeah, great. That, that's one of my talk metrics, by the way. Um, number of times that someone says more of a comment, not a question, followed by number of eyes I can see rolling from the stage. <laughs> But better yet, I, I mean, if, if the video is pre-recorded and it's not actually a live talk, the speaker can actually be there answering questions like it live. And it's I like mean, I, I've had amazing discussions on chat platforms with speakers while I'm watching their talk. You know? I don't understand why everybody's like, oh, I hate pre-record. I hate pre-record. I'm like, but it's because of that. Because you know what we could never do in a talk? PJ couldn't be up there giving a talk. And I couldn't be like, hey, PJ, hang on. Stop for a second. Let me ask you about this. I would be the biggest jerk. But in the con in the virtual, it's it's awesome and speakers loving people. Up uh, uh, yes, I know. Sorry, I'm tired. I know uh, we're all tired of not being able to go see our friends and eat cool food in different places and get energy on the stage. Move on with your life. This is the job now. I think that tells right into really uh, the the last question, which is there. There's a lot of things you can do because you can do time shifted. You could have different kinds of interaction. For for virtual events, what kind of add-ons or incentives do you see that these conferences can do or offer? Or have you seen best practices that should be added on, like Twitter cards? Um, 
if there's like a, like a, a sizzle reel that should could be given to sponsors so that they can then put it on their own site or to highlight some of their own content. Uh, I've seen digital giveaways. What are some of the things that you see uh, conferences doing in this now like virtual, like remote space that is, you know, some of the things that people can learn from and actually make their, their sponsorships go a little bit further. Well, I, I know this makes a lot of people groan, but sponsored speaking sessions, <laughs> like uh, it, it's, it, it, you know, event organizers should always have quality of standards. Like it, you sh they should never just have a, a sales pitch in a talk. Um, but it does give me as a sponsor much more incentive to be involved if I'm paying to have a speaker there. In fact, it actually makes me more interested in making sure that our our, our session is going to be really high quality because I don't want to pay for a, a slot and then just have it completely flop. Um, so that's kind of an obvious one. I, I you know, I, I, I realize there's a, a risk of that going in a bad direction too, but I think that just comes down to event organizers. Um, beyond that, it, it gets it, it it's it gets so difficult. Like I really, this is where I really do not feel. Um, I I don't envy the position of event organizers on this because I don't think there's a whole lot of options. I think one thing that event organizers, which I know is not helpful if you're on the other side, but uh, I think it can happen in both ways. I think event organizers can do a much better job of sponsor enablement, like I said. And I don't mean because if I say that, what most organizers hear is I'm going to train you how to use Hopin or to use our tool or whatever. I could not care less about that. But I mean, here's how to have the best experience as a sponsor at my conference. You know, we have these things available to you. Here's how to do it. It's I used to do this in-person events for DevOps State Chicago. I would walk around to every booth and say, okay, I know you're going to give your pitch. Let me tell you how to do it and do it right. Because if you get up there and do your bullshit, sorry, you know, it's going to... We'll allow it. Okay. You know, it, it's going to fall. But go up and here's how to do a pitch at this event and be effective, right? And so, like, doing that is helpful. I think... Um, just to touch on what Ben said about sponsored paid slots. It's so funny. Cause again, I run DevOps days and it's like one of what we have five rules for DevOps days. And that's one of them. That's great. That's DevOps days. You know, there are certain events. There are also events where not only is it okay for to be a pit where the participants would be okay with kind of a demo or a pitch. They actually want that. Like they'll be like, I want that. So like we, we do over rotate. And I will say for an event that I'm doing in October, um, that's not a community event, but it's an industry event. We have a sponsor. We have a couple sponsored talks, but we are holding them to the same standard as our CFP. Like we're saying, like, you can't come in here and do a pitch, but we aren't also, we aren't just going and saying, you can't do a pitch, Wesley. We're saying, this is what we, this is an example of what we want. Sorry, I was picking on PJ the whole time. It's so okay. I figured I, you know, I, I, so I think you can do that. And I think, yeah, you need to call it out. Like this is so people understand it, but people aren't necessarily, if, if the content's great, people aren't going to skip it because it's sponsored. If it's a pitch, they might. Right. Um, well, this, it's funny you mentioned that, Maddie, because when we were at Engine Yard, we would, you know, we'd be at every RubyConf, every RailsConf. That was the, the thrust of our business. And we'd always get a sponsor slot, but we, you know, we introduced the idea of Trailblazer, which is like an abstraction layer on top of Rails. Instead of coming out and saying like, well, we, I mean like, yeah, there was the, 
And we also service people who are using Trailblazer. But that was like a small thing at the end of the presentation. It was about Trailblazer and how it works, how you can contribute to the project. Like it was an open source project. Like you, you talk about these things that are actually important to community members. And I think that that kind of goes in with what, you know, if you want, you're, you're saying to enable them, you need people to go out and say, listen, hey, this is why what I'm about to say is of value to you. Let me explain to you why it's of value to you. And then you can say, maybe it's not, but we can have a discussion. This isn't just me saying, stop by the boot booth, let me know what questions you have. I think yeah. we could have a whole episode about how to give talks that aren't really sponsor pitches, but are, yes. and everybody's happy about it. Yeah, Also known as my entire career. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing that I know um, from the standpoint of someone looking to sponsor conferences, and it, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, but it's, I think one of the huge advantages of virtual events is that if you do have access to the the chat, if there is a Slack or a, an ongoing chat for the conference that you as a sponsor can see, that's huge because I'm never going to be able to talk to everybody on site, but in the chat, I can do a, you know, perhaps a find search and see like, cool, what are people talking about? What are people mentioning? Not to be the annoying person that seven hours later goes back and goes, hey, so-and-so, we have a product that solves that problem, right? But to be able to say back to my sales team or back to my product team, hey, by the way, this thing that we're considering adding to the product was mentioned nine times at this conference in a span of an hour. Like that needs to be influenced in the roadmap or moved up in the in the plan or whatever it is. Or if your trip report comes from a template that you might read in this book I've, I've read uh, called The Business Value Developer Relations, one of the fields in that report is what were some of the topics that were discussed heavily at this conference? And it's way easier to know that. Who, who wrote that book, Matt? I don't know. I don't know, but I think page six has a really uh, good looking person's uh, you know call out on it. So you might want to check that out. All of this is true. All of this is true. <laughs> Uh, on that note, I think we're going to have to wrap this up. I know it's been a, a really good conversation. We've already, I think, identified a couple other whole episodes that we could do. Um, but we definitely want to move you into checkouts. Um, and this is the part of the show where we mention some things that we've seen or heard about or are playing with in our own time. Um, some of these are tech related. Some of these are things we're enjoying in our downtime. We've had people just kind of give advice ad hoc in the past as well. Um, so I'm going to call on Wesley first. Do you have a checkout for us today? Yeah, absolutely. Funny, we were banding about this, this, uh, subject matter for this podcast. And then soon after there, this blog post that came out, how do we get sponsors to support our tech event? It's, it's on, uh, the, in the dev community. Um, and, and it's from a past guest event floor. Uh, and so this was amazing that, we that that it was like almost kismet, and so I had to include it in the checkout, and the, so the link will be included. But yeah, check it out. Uh, or, it's, a, it's a good like you know read after listening to this episode. Fantastic, uh, Ben. Let's go with you next. Do you have a checkout for us today? Yeah, so I am a complete troglodyte when it comes to cell phones. Like I just upgraded my like five year old cell phone to like a two year old cell phone. Um, and I only have like five apps that I actually like on my phone. Um, so the one of my least favorite things in, in the world is installing new apps on my phone. And 
Um, the first time just the other day, I, I've been doing some stuff where I'm signing lots of virtual documents and I'm always loath to open things on my cell phone when I'm doing this. Um, and uh, yeah, the, Google did its little like instant apps uh, recommendation for me this week and was like, hey, you can open this document in an instant app and you don't have to install it. And I was and I, I was like the happiest I've been about mobile technology and probably since the touchscreen was invented. <laughs> That's amazing. I'll have to check that out because I definitely have way too many apps on my phone. Absolutely. Uh, PJ, you got anything for us? Yeah, actually, I, so I have a couple of cool things. Um, as anyone who has spent any amount of time with me uh, since March knows I bought a motorcycle. Uh, I was really excited about it. Um, but as anyone who knows me also knows, I'm a pretty social person. I like to share what I'm doing almost all the time, even though I'm not on Facebook or Instagram or anything but Twitter. But a friend of mine found this really cool motorcycle rider social media platform called Rever, R-V-E-R. And it's really cool. You you kind of start it up when you start your ride, it tracks your ride, kind of like, uh, you know, the different, you know, share my ride things for bicycles and runners and things like that. But this is for motorcyclists. And what it does is it actually finds places where you can have long stretch of ride without lights or tolls or what have you. So you can really enjoy and extend the ride for longer periods of time. So Rever is pretty cool. I suggest you check it out. R-V-E-R-V-R-E-V-E-R. Um, and then the other thing I found is, as many of you know, I'm still a practicing musician. Um, however, I am getting on in years and earplugs are a necessity. Um, so I was looking for a way to get ear molds. They used to be pretty prohibitively expensive. You had to go to like a place they made hearing aids or something like that. I came upon a company called Decibels, D-E-C-I-B-U-L-L-Z. And Matt's holding them up right now. That's so crazy. Um, but they have this awesome thing that basically works like your mouth guard when you played Little League or, or, or whatever you had a mouth guard for. Um, you boil some water, you drop them in, you mold it to your ear, and it's the perfect ear mold. costs about 25 bucks, so it's not the you know, $100, $200, and they have pass-throughs, so you can do um, full like PA feedback, like use it as a monitor kind of thing. Awesome company, really good product. Uh, just started using them a couple weeks ago, and my tinnitus after practice has been very low. So that's good. Um, so those are my checkouts. Awesome, thanks. And Maddie, you're not you're not repping decibels today, but I know you've got a few no. checkouts for us. A, a couple things. So first of all, just uh, today's episode of Ted Lasso. Holy shit, um, amazing. Ted Lasso in general, but yes. Uh, so we, find me on Twitter. We'll talk about it. Um, so this is also. I just, I just worry it gets so dusty in my house when Ted Lasso comes. I know out it does, right? Episode. They're always cutting onions. It's like uh, someone needs to clean during uh, the, the show. especially this one. Um, on the music thing, so this again, back to the Chicago theme. Uh, if you are if you are of a certain age that I am and live and lived in Chicago in the '90s and early 2000s, um, there's this great book by James Van Osdell that actually came out 10 years ago, but I just read it the other day. And it's called "Thank You for Your Enthusiasm: An Oral History of Q101." And Q101 was like the big alternative music radio station um, that was formative of my life, and it's an awesome book, and so you should check it out. And even if you aren't from there, it's just like great radio stories. Uh, and also you should follow my dog on Instagram or Twitter. Um, we'll put the, the link. So I'm sure will be in the show notes, but she's Moxie Aussie or Moxie underscore Aussie, depending on platform. Awesome. Uh, my recommendation for the day comes based on the fact that I'm coming back from almost three weeks off of vacation. Um, and we didn't do a ton. We didn't go anywhere super exciting. Um, but I got out of the house, which was enough most days. Um, and I was telling a friend earlier today, it was amazing just 
the difference that I saw in my brain and how fast I was moving and my adrenaline and anxiety and ability to breathe and everything else just being not here because I've only been here for the last 18 months. Um, and so uh, just highly recommend getting outside, disconnecting from your phone, disconnecting from apps as Ben was talking about earlier um, and just getting some time offline. Um, if you do have a dog and you enjoy hiking or going for walks, I highly recommend dogtrekker.com. Um, I was using that over the past few weeks to find good places to take our pup Maya um, off leash and dog friendly walks and things like that. Um, so I'm, I'm coming back to work and having to deal with email and she's coming back to the reality of us being back at work and she's no longer on five acres of property or off leash trails all day long. So we're all adjusting this week, um, but highly recommend disconnecting. And if you have a pup, Dog Trekker is a great way to, to figure out where you can go adventuring with your dog. So on that note, PJ, you're going to wrap us up for today. I am. And I'd like to say, welcome back. Because Mary, we haven't seen you in three Thank weeks. It, it I seems know. like it's been forever. Yeah, um, we missed you. We missed you. Um, so, I mean, we talked a lot about virtual sponsorships, a lot about value. And I think that value sometimes kind of gets wrapped up in time and money. So I'm going to close this with a quote from my personal favorite Wu-Tang Clan. If time is money, I got time and time saved. I pull your blinds and stop shine behind shade. Nobody get till I got mine, my mind made. Thank you very much. And we'll see you for the next episode of Community Pulse. This has been Community Pulse. Learn more at communitypulse.io and on Twitter at community underscore pulse. Your hosts are Mary Thangball, Mary underscore Grace on Twitter, Jason Hand, Jason Hand on Twitter, PJ Haggerty, Asplenic on Twitter, SJ Morris, Sarah Jane Morris on Twitter, and Wesley Faulkner, Wesley83 on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.